Drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? Well, with decades in the business and multiple Grammy nominations, Eric Bibb is one of the enduring voices of folk and the blues and what a voice he has. Over his latest two albums, Dear America and Ryden, he's taking a look back at America and what it means to be part of the history of that country. And Eric Bibb joins me now. Welcome to you and welcome to Australia. Thank you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be back and uh, I'm looking forward to the longest tour yet, uh, one month of uh, solo shows and then uh, uh, another month with the band. Yeah. Take me into your home growing up. You had a childhood immersed in music and the civil rights movement. So what were the sounds <laughs> present in that childhood of yours? Oh, great music uh, all across the spectrum of great music. Uh, you know, Mahalia Jackson in the mornings on Sunday, uh, you know, Ravel, you know, <laughs> on Sunday evening, Lead Belly, you know, on Saturday morning, uh, my dad's voice, uh, one of the most beautiful singers uh, from that era uh, was my dad. Um, Pete Seeger was a family friend. Uh, I met Bob Dylan when I was 11 years old uh, in my own living room. It's kind of fabled. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> did, so was he just around for tea? Bob popped in for tea and cake? <laughs> no, or? Not, not, not quite. My dad had a party uh, for some of his colleagues, you know, who were uh, uh, prominent in the folk world at that time, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and folks like that. And Bob was the guest of honor, the one everybody was hoping would show up because he'd just blown into town. Uh, I'm 11 years old, he's twice my age, and at midnight he finally showed up uh, on a snowy December. And uh, yeah, there he was in the middle of my living room and I went up to him in my pajamas and robe because I'd already gone to bed and come back down when I heard the commotion. And I introduced myself, I said, you know, hi, I'm Eric, I play guitar too. Yeah. Wow. And it's the only conversation I've ever had with that wonderful uh, songster and uh, you know I'd like to thank him for all the PR mileage I've gotten out of that conversation <laughs> yeah well it sounds like he could have been Santa Claus on one snowy uh, yeah. December evening uh, yeah in a way he most, was yeah well, well m most young people growing up they sort of find their parents taste as a source of rebellion if mm -hmm. you like not so much you. I mean, was there also a desire to forge your own path or to sort of learn from some of these incredible names in folk and blues that you're exposed to in your early life? What a wonderful question. I've never had that one before. Um, in terms of rebelling, uh, what's to rebel against? Fantastic, great music all around. And, you know, I had my own, you know, set up my own record players, but my dad's and my mom's record collection was my record collection for so many years. Uh, I also had, of course, access to AM radio. And, you know, uh, in, the, in the height of that wonderful period in the 60s, you know, from the Beatles on out, uh, AM radio and FM radio was playing really great progressive music from all stripes, you know. Uh, so I had the best of all of the, the great music that, uh, you know, was around at the time and continues to endure. So I wasn't needing to find music that was a, you know, appealing to me only and repulsive to them. I didn't have to go through any of that. 
Uh, however, they were surprised when I decided to make the foundation of my songwriting and performing uh, my take on country blues, you know. Uh, being a guy from New York City, they thought, wow, he's embraced this agrarian music from the deep south, and what's that about? And uh, all I can say is I just heard it, felt it, and had to get into it, you know. How did Sweden end up becoming your home? Sweden and me go way back. Uh, my dad had a tour of the Soviet Union, as it was called at that time, in 1964, and the whole family went on the trip. So my twin sister and I celebrated a 13th birthday in Kiev. Uh, on the way back from the Soviet Union to New York, we made a stop, a pit stop, a three-day pit stop in Stockholm. And uh, it must have left a really positive impression on, on a 13-year-old me because uh, seven years later, I was back in Stockholm, you know, with my guitar and, you know, striking out on my own. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a wonderful place to, um, to get to know yourself, especially if you're a 20-year-old in the early 1970s, you know. Sweden has changed, uh, like everything, but it's still uh, a place that I call home and that I enjoy. Yeah. The title track off your last album, Dear America, I mean, you talk about the dual experience of knowing what it is to be a citizen, but knowing what it means to be excluded for the colour mm. of your skin. Just talk to me about that experience, because it still feels somewhat central to what we see in the US today. Is that your It experience? is central. It is central. And it can never be anything but central until uh, we as a people, Americans, uh, really face the, the brutal history that has brought us to where we are. So uh, that's what I can say. I can just say that, um, you know, being so-called black in America has had uh, a huge uh, weight of uh, all kinds of powerful emotions for so many generations. And it's not going to be thrown off just because America elected, you know, a brown-skinned president once in a while, you know, with Obama. People talk about post-racist America, post-racism. What? Are you kidding? It took, you know, centuries to get to that horrible place of uh, prejudice and uh, misinformation. You know, that doesn't get unwound in a, in a decade, you know. So there's a lot of work to be done. Well, speaking about that work, how, how do you compare the kind of current times when it comes to civil rights movements to that of your childhood? I mean, there are perhaps similar and also different questions now, but it looks like a lot of the same challenges remain. Yes, uh, very true. And um, it's that, that conversation and that reflection is uh, worthy of, uh, you know, a lot more time than we have here. But... I can say this, the deep-rooted attitudes about so-called race and about dark-skinned people, African-Americans in America, uh, the deep-rooted prejudice and ignorance and lack of knowledge. You know, the problems that come from segregating people is that you end up not feeling connected to your neighbor or somebody who is actually you know, a fellow human being in the human community. And so, if you so does don't music people, create does music create that connection in your view? Oh, of course. Of course. It's obvious. 
without the music, I, I, I wouldn't want to think about where we'd be. You know, I think that healing force and that connecting uh, uh, language, you know, is where we're going to save ourselves. That's why I feel so strongly about, you know, doing what I do and writing the kind of songs that I write. On ABCRN, I'm Andy Park. The musician Eric Bibbs, my guest, he's in the studio with his guitar, ready to play his song Silver Spoon. Tell me about this one, Eric. What does it mean? What do you want people to know about this song? Nice question. Um, this is autobiographical. This is a, a thumbnail sketch of part of my journey. Uh, I want people to know pretty much up front, uh, this is why I often start my gigs with this song, if they're not familiar with me and my story, I want, to know, want them to know a little bit about where I come from. So I talk about uh, leaving you know, my home and coming over an ocean and making a new home somewhere else and where people uh, look a different way than I look. And you know, to me, that personal story uh, is reflected in the headlines. You know, there are a lot of people on the move who are uh, finding uh, the challenges of uh, making a home somewhere new because they had to flee where they, they originally come from. Beautifully said. Eric Bibb in the studio. This is his song, Silver Spoon, here live on RN Drive. I've left my home as a young man, still a boy, truth be told, took my guitar, my troubled heart, and hit the road. I made my way across an ocean. In search of somewhere to belong Just a young buck And traveling on I made my home In the north country far At a time when very few people there look, look like me Made good friends Who were kind to a stranger And his family Some say I was born with a silver spoon In my mouth People you know I've paid my dues on the plate of guitar all around the world born to sing the blues I settled down got a straight job played my music on the side Food on the table, paid the rent, but I was not satisfied. 
hung my guitar so many times so many times it's a shame but I kept on playing singing my songs till the people knew my name some say I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth people you know I paid my dues born to play the guitar all around the world I'm born to sing the blues And that was Eric Beeb. That's the song Silver Spoon. He's joining me here ahead of his Australian tour. Eric, you also say that you preserve the traditions of pre-war blues. How does that era compare to the later blues scene in your view? I mean, what is what is it that draws you to the music of that time? Mm-hmm. Well, it's big words to say that I'm, I'm preserving it. I'm certainly somebody who uh, loves the older blues forms and ways of playing and singing and really would love to see that not disappear from the airwaves, as it were. And the good news is it's such a wonderful music that's attracted so many musicians is that Younger musicians, I can think of even that duo, that fine duo, Larkin and Poe, you know, they've been listening. Uh, And these are not even African-American musicians. These are people from another, you know, uh, culture perhaps who have been captivated, like myself, by this wonderful country blues, you know, earlier country blues. But there are other young people out there, and I think... uh, The music will endure. And what's happening in general in the blues scene is a couple of things. I see uh, selected musicians really diving deeper and really becoming uh, the next uh, standard bearers of a wonderful tradition with great skills. I also see the cartoonization of the blues. And perhaps. What what do you mean by that? (laughs) Uh, Think about. you know, the blues comes from a heavy place in history, and to to just uh, make it a kind of commodity, you know, without referring uh, in some serious, respectful ways to the people who make this music, that's what I call the cartoonization of it. Um, you know, if people make a caricature, caricature out of a certain style of music, you know it's powerful, because uh, it has to be powerful if you're going to caricature you know, make a caricature of it. But um, I want people to think about where it really comes from and listen to more uh, of the older exponents of this music and not just the rock-inspired, uh, you know, uh, grandchildren of the blues, yeah. Mm. Uh, it's fair to say you've been doing this for a minute now. Uh, how has your approach to music changed as you've gotten older? I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but are there songs that you heard in that wonderful living room and that wonderful family environment that you grew up in that mean something different now to you because you have age, because Mm. you've worn the rubber out on a few boots, Mm. so to speak? Mm. Are there songs that mean something totally different to you now than they did when you were a child? Interestingly enough, I wouldn't say totally different. I would say there's a connection between that time and this time. So it's not going to be a totally different connection. 
but it's going to be another depth of, of, of uh, appreciation. I'll give you two examples. Uh, I recorded a song called 500 Miles, which was a popular folk song derived from even an older folk song, 900 Miles. That 500 Miles is on my new record. And to me, it was always a lovely melody. My dad recorded it. Uh, the story is poignant. You know, people are being, you know, uh, longing for their homes. But it also, for me, in this day and age, resonates with, like I said, all the people who are on the move, refugees, who are homeless, who are looking for a safe place to be. So my appreciation of that plight, you know, adds to my, my love of that song. Another great old song would be If I Had a Hammer, you know, Pete uh, Seeger and, 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 yes. and Lee Hayes' song. I've put that back into my, my uh, you know, hopper, and I'll, I'll be performing it hopefully soon. I've recorded it recently at home, and I just love it. I just think it's a great song, and it's so timely. Mm. Yeah, it's funny how the, when the ears become a bit saggier, perhaps a bit uh, fluffy from age, <laughs> songs can really change in their sentiment and meaning. And it's not the song, it's you, isn't it? Yeah. Eric, it's an absolute pleasure to have you in the studio and to have a chance to talk to you about your music. Thank you so much for your time. And look, break a leg on your Australian tour. Can't Thank wait you, for Andy. audiences to, to hear you live. Thank you. Love talking. Thank you. Eric Beer has been my guest on RN Drive. Eric's new album is Ryden. It's out March 24th, and he's in the middle of a long run of Australian dates, including the Port Ferry Folk Festival. You can check online for details. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.